Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to New Valley. Welcome to many of you uh, to f your first time uh, for in-person services since COVID has started. I know having the nursery is a big help. Can we thank Megan and uh, our children's team, Jen, for making that happen? Huge, and uh, this is a great turnout. This is the best turnout we've had for our first service since we've had uh, in-person services, and so I feel like we've almost reached our max in here. This is great, so thank you all for being here. I uh, wanted to share some things that are going on in the body right now and for you to be praying. Would you please be praying for the Kiefer family as um, Dale Kiefer uh, passed away this week and went on uh, to, to meet the Lord face to face, and we have full confidence that he is with the Lord. We had a funeral uh, this past weekend on Saturday that Pastor Tyson led, and it was a just a beautiful honoring of a, a life well-lived and a celebration of a man who loved Christ passionately and, and served his family so well. And so, it, but as you know, uh, the, the losing of a loved one is an enormous grief. And Dale um, only found out that he had cancer uh, just a few months ago. And so please be praying for that family. Um, on a, a more fun note, um, I got invited to a party uh, this week to celebrate uh, the wedding anniversary of Rose Joseph and her husband, Sid Joseph, and they celebrated 67 years of marriage. Rose, I'm going to ask you to stand up. <clears throat> Sid just had surgery, and so he, he couldn't be here. Like uh, Most of us can't fathom like being alive for 67 years, let alone being married for 67 years. And uh, it's, it's, it's just such a testimony to God's faithfulness, but also Rose's patience to be married to Sid that long. So, an amazing. <laughs> no, he's one of my favorite people. Today we're talking about marriage. And, uh, you know, some of you are single and you're like, oh, great, another sermon about marriage. I want to encourage you, even if you're young, even if you're a student, to really listen in on, on this, this conversation. Because anyone that wants to be married needs to be thinking in terms of uh, what are the kinds of things that I'm looking for in marriage and what can I expect in marriage. And really, as you're dating as a single person, especially the older you get, I always told my boys, like, when you're in high school, you need to take seriously who you date. When you're in college, you really need to be extremely serious about who you date. And the older you get with every passing month and year, the more likely that relationship may lead to marriage, the more serious you need to take it. And to consider these things as we challenge about marriage, but be thinking in light of your own hopes and dreams for marriage if you're single. So today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 and verses 24 through 25. And I'm just going to read those passages as we go along in the sermon uh, as we go along in just a minute. But we're in this series called Beyond Surviving, and we're talking about intentional faith in the midst of this chaotic time period. And today we want to talk about having an intentional marriage, even in the midst of intentionality in marriage. And that's always critical, but especially right now. Even the best of marriages are under a strain, a unique strain, during this time. And uh, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I am fasting from social media, but I googled uh, some, some funny tweets that came up uh, during COVID about marriage, and this one is one that I loved. 
if <laughs> this is a wife talking to her husband. If we're going to be stuck together in the house for months on end, you're going to have to stop doing that. And the husband asks, stop doing what? And she gestures to me in general, he writes, and says, that. Like, you, as a person, you're going to have to stop. We're going to look at a couple of things today. Uh, if you've heard me preach on marriage before, especially if you've been in our first Wednesday's uh, classes and, and time, you're going to hear some repeated stuff, but... These are, these are important, and I want to cover the, the point of marriage and the priority of marriage and then intentionality in marriage. But first of all, the point of marriage is you got a Bible. You can read about marriage. It's one of the most beautiful passages about the very first marriage in Genesis chapter 2. But we're just going to look at verse 18 alone, and there's so much rich textual truth right around that passage. But in verse 18, it says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So after God created the heavens and the earth, everything that's in the universe, he, he declared a divine benediction over everything. He said that it was good. And as you read through Genesis, you, you see that he creates, after each sort of phase of creation, he stops and says, it's good. It's good. It's good. Everything in creation is blessed. And so Christians are not against the material world. We believe that God has created this world good. It is fallen. We are fallen. But that God's intent in creation is all good, and there's only one thing in all of his creative process that he counted as not good, and it was that Adam was alone. Aloneness was not good. And, and we see that even before we get to Genesis 1 and 2, or chapter 2, because God himself, the triune God, exists in the form of a trinity, which is the ultimate mystery. God did not create the universe out of loneliness because God has never been lonely. God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One person, or excuse me, one God in three persons, you'll never figure out that mystery. <laughs> However, this is what we believe to our core, one God, three persons. And as the three persons of the Trinity, God has never been alone. There's been perfect fellowship, perfect fullness. And so God creates the universe out of abundance, not out of lack, not out of loneliness. And then gives us the gift of community because it was not good that Adam was alone. And he creates for Adam Eve. And in the original Hebrew, it says that God created an azer for him, an azer, helper. That's the, what that word means, helper for Adam. And it's used for God himself, this word. So before you go start assigning all kinds of negative things to that, God himself is described as our azer, as he is our help in a time of need. So Eve is not created for Adam to be subservient. Instead, God created a partner for Eve. God created a best friend. We'll see that in just a moment. And as male and female, they perfectly complemented one another beautifully. Tim and Kathy Keller, in their Meaning of Marriage book, and my gospel community that I'm a part of, we're reading that this, uh, this semester. And Becky and I have read it a couple times already. It is so good. And he talks about all of the various meanings of marriage and, and the prof most one of the most profound of course is of the meaning or purpose of marriage ultimately is to glorify god okay at the highest levels of our thinking and theology 
It is also a picture of us to Christ and the church, our relationship to Jesus through him being the head of the church and our, he is our husband, we are the bride, the church. But practically speaking, for us as we experience marriage, as we seek to be married if we're, if we're single, it is a profound and intimate friendship. In their book, Tim and Kathy Keller write this, what is marriage for? What is the purpose of marriage? The Bible's answer to this question starts with the principle that marriage is a friendship. It's for deep and profound intimacy, a life-changing intimacy. And so the purpose of marriage ultimately is friendship. And so if you're single and you're experiencing a relationship, but you're having a difficult time connecting as friends, take that very, very seriously. Because the highest priority or the highest the purpose, in a sense, beyond glorifying God, of course, and mirroring Christ in the church, is this profound intimacy in friendship. The next thing I want us to see is the priority of marriages from Genesis 2. It says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There's such an intimate relationship that there's no shame in it, that you can be known, fully exposed and known and not experience shame. A man shall leave his father and his mother. A husband is to leave his family of origin. This is not always easy, but we are to leave, not necessarily literally to, to physically move out of town, but certainly out of the house. And uh, the husband is to leave the family of origin, and so is the wife, and they are to cleave together in such a way that they create a whole new thing. They become one flesh. And it's so important that even mom and dad, that used to be more of a primary relationship, are no longer primary, and siblings are no longer primary, and best friends are no longer primary, that your husband and your wife become foremost in your life. The reality of one flesh. Jesus goes on to say this, what God has joined together, and he takes, he quotes from Genesis 2, but then he adds this, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And we typically think of the things that separate us in marriage are these exterior things, things outside of the marriage that are tempting. So obviously, a tempting of another relationship, whether that's an emotional affair or a little or literal affair, or tempting to, by work, or anything that's exterior from the marriage. But what I have found in my own experience in marriage, but also just in ministry, is that usually the greatest threat of let no man tear this marriage apart is inside the marriage. It's us. It's husband. It's wife. Our oldest son, Jake, is getting married two weeks from yesterday in Tennessee. I'm doing the wedding. Pray for me. <laughs> I'm praying that I don't cry throughout the entire time. That, you know, I know I'll probably cry a little bit, but I'm just begging God that I don't cry throughout the entire wedding. And our oldest son is marrying this young lady named Lauren. And she's a wonderful lady. And we are so delighted to welcome her into our family as a daughter. We've never had a daughter. And yet when they say I do, Becky and I are having to prepare ourselves that our relationship with Jake needs to change. Because his relationship to us no longer is primary. Lauren is primary. He must leave. He must cleave to her. He must cling to her, and she to him. And it's true of us as well. And yet, while this is the ideal, 
the highest priority and a profound and deep intimacy. It doesn't take long. Just read on in the book of Genesis to see examples of marriages in the Bible and how poorly they go. The greatest hero, in a sense, of the Old Testament in in many ways is Abraham, the father of Israel, the the first man that God chooses to himself and says, I'm going to create a whole new people. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have you looked at their marriage? If you have not, look, it is profoundly unhealthy. And so there is the ideal, there's the biblical ideal, and and we need to strive for that. But there is also the reality that we live in this broken and fallen place. And so if you are currently discouraged at some level by your marriage, welcome to the real world in this broken, fallen place where we live not in the perfected state of God's kingdom, but in the shadow lands as we wait and long for the kingdom. And of course there's frustration in marriage right now. Of course there's difficulties in marriage right now. But as we strive for Christ and seek him, we can experience the blessing of marriage and the joys of marriage. Normal marriage equals hard, I think. And marriage right now, in light of covid And everything that's going on in culture and quarantining is Herculean hard. And so I just want to stop right now and just say, if you've been having a difficult time, I am not at all surprised. In in a sense, I would say, you know, welcome to the club. Like, this is where almost everyone is. Even the best of marriages right now, I believe, are under strain. And so it's very important for us during this time to talk about this and to press in and to say we can't wait until life gets back to sort of normal before we start to seek God in a healthy marriage right now. Many marriages are including the pressure right now of caring for kids, young kids. Some of you are back today. Thank you for being here. This has been so difficult. Many of you are working, both of you, from home in the same space, on the same bandwidth, and there's kids at home, and some of you even have kids still uh, educating online. We're cooped up. We're bored. Have you seen the movie Groundhog Day? It's one of my favorites. Bill Murray gets up every day to the same day. He's stuck in Pennsylvania at the the Groundhog Festival, and he can't get out of it. And it feels like that to me. It's like I wake up and it feels like the same day after day after day. I literally kind of forgot what season it was the other day. It's easy to do in Arizona. It's like, is it winter? Is it summer? What's happening right now? I don't know. Are we doing the right thing? There's this tension of like, are we educating our kids the proper way? What do we do right now? Do we send them back to preschool? Do we send them to school? Do we homeschool? Do we unschool? Do we just buy an RV and travel the United States? What do we do right now? Are we in agreement on how to handle this? What does safety look like for us? When will we go to a party again? When will we go to church again? Are we interpreting everything that's happening in culture right now the same way? Are we arguing about that? Even, I'll say it again, those marriages that are most strong under normal circumstances are probably struggling right now. And so to everyone, whether you had issues prior to COVID and, all, and everything that's going on in our culture right now, it, 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 or if you have had a healthy marriage, I just want to say, be patient with one another and be patient with your marriage because this right now, I believe, is normal. I read an article several years ago in the New York Times called That Loving Feeling Takes a Lot of Work. It was written by a lady named Jane Brody, and she wrote in her article this, 
While some divorces are clearly justified by abuse, intolerable infidelity, and addictive behaviors, experts say many severed marriages seem to have just withered and died from a lack of effort to keep the embers alive. Now, she writes this, now is the time, dear friend, to work on a more mutually rewarding relationship if you want your marriage to last. And I want to echo that right now. So if you have a healthy marriage and you come in here today and say, even under the circumstances of COVID, it is still healthy. Even there, right now, keep working on your marriage. If you had a healthy marriage before all of this hit and you're wondering what happened to this healthy relationship that we had, don't be surprised that you're in the place that you are, but now is the time. Now is the time to begin working on your marriage. And if you had difficulty already in your marriage, don't be surprised if it's feeling worse, if the chasm is not greater, if there's more difficulty. Don't be surprised. But of course, now is the time to take these things very, very seriously. And so in light of Genesis, the thing that I want us to see and take away today on the priority of marriage and the purpose of marriage is this. Every married couple, if you think about it, is on a trajectory week by week, day by day, into greater and greater intimacy and friendship or greater and greater separation. Jesus said, let no man separate what God has joined together. We have a tendency, though, as Christians in particular, I think, because most Christians go into their marriage believing the scripture to be true, believing the Bible, and having an ethos and a commitment that I will never divorce you. I'm going to remain true to my marriage covenant to you. We won't get divorced. And sometimes, in my opinion, I think we use the reality that we've committed to never get divorced as an excuse then, in a sense, to take each other for granted to not take our marriage vows seriously and to say, well, like, I know we're not getting a divorce and to not mind yourself in terms of how you're treating one another on a daily basis. And I want to say as your pastor, it doesn't matter what you said at the beginning. I promise you there is a breaking point in every marriage, no matter how godly you may be and no matter how intensely committed you are to God's word to be true, everyone has a breaking point. Everyone has a breaking point. Don't treat one another in such a way that you reach your breaking point. Our marriages are either moving into greater connection or greater separation, into uh, greater intimacy, greater friendship, greater love, or greater separation. Just a question I just want to ask you uh, it right now is to consider which, which direction are you in right now? Are you on a trajectory towards greater intimacy or greater separation? And the thing that I want us to see now is to talk about what does it look like to be intentional about our marriage right now. And I've got three more points for you, and I have to admit they're kind of corny. And I'm going to actually have you repeat them uh, with me under your mask, but out loud, okay? So there are three things. I'm going to say them first, and then we're going to say them together because I want to get them in your head. First is this. Say yes. Second is believe the best. And third is cover the rest. I know. I know. It's cheesy. But it works. You'll remember it. So say yes. Say yes. Believe, the best, Believe the best. Cover the rest. Cover the rest. 
So I don't want you to hear me as we get to the part of forgiveness that I'm saying that, you know, you don't raise your hand if you're in an abusive relationship or that if you're unsafe at home or that kind of thing or there is intolerable infidelity or anything. I'm not saying, oh, just, you know, just cover it. It's no big deal. It's not what we're saying, okay? But in general, these three things, say yes, believe the best, and cover the rest because most relationships die and wither under the vine by these day-to-day problems, First of all, say yes. Uh, I read an article this last year in The Atlantic by a lady named Emily Smith, and she brought up two authors I'd never heard of, John Gottman and his wife, Julie. And they have studied thousands of couples over the years in a quest to figure out what makes a relationship work. And I've read a lot of books on marriage. The Gottmans are not coming from a Christian perspective, but I found their stuff to be incredibly helpful and to absolutely agree. Uh, I'm not saying they agree with everything about the Bible, but their data and their research only backs up what we believe. They've conducted a study with newlyweds and, and get them like in, in an environment like on a campus at a university, and they spend a lot of time with them observing them. And over the years, they've determined that they can absolutely, in a sense, predict the success or failure of that relationship within six years. The couples that stayed married were much better at one thing they have found after years and years of research. And that answer is this, turning, away, turning towards one another instead of away. Turning towards one another instead of away. Well, what does that mean? Does it literally mean, well, oh my gosh, she, she's not turning towards me right now. She's sitting in the opposite direction. No, that's, that's not it. It's, it's emotionally and, of course, physically turning towards one another instead of turning away. At the six-year follow-up, couples that had stayed married turned towards one another 86% of the time, and couples that had divorced averaged only 33% of the time. Now, this suggests that there is something that you can do to improve your marriage and to help. This is encouraging. 33% of the time, the, the couples that didn't make it did not turn towards one another. What does that mean to turn towards one another? What they say it means is basically is responding to an invitation. They call it a bid. And throughout our day-to-day lives, there are all these bids that we give one another in friendship and relationship. And if you go back again to Genesis 2, what is the meaning of marriage? That the two become one flesh, that there's this profound intimacy a deep friendship. And, and yet, we're male and female. We're not going to like the same things. We're not going to be totally on the same page. Maybe uh, you have many other best friends that you know, like are, are this, the same gender as you, and that's great, and we need that as well. But for a marriage to be healthy, there has to be this growing friendship. And so there are these bids. Do you want to go on a walk with me? Would you like to watch a show together tonight? Could we pray together? Honey, I think we ought to go to church. Let's go hiking We ought to have kids. All these things. These are invitations. These are bids. And you either accept those bids or you don't. And those couples that only say yes to these uh, bids, it could even be as simple as a wink or a smile or a I love you or a text. Like, how's your day? That's a bid. That's an invitation to intimacy. And ever since reading this a few months ago, and we talked about this on a first Wednesday, Becky and I started, we joke about it, like, I'm offering you a bid right now. Would you like to go on a walk? And then that makes it very difficult, right, to say, well, gosh, I said no yesterday, and our average could be really bad here today, like 33%, and you're done. But I do want us to be thinking about it. If this is true, like, 
it's been helpful to me and to Becky. Actually, it's like, I'm offering this invitation. I better take this serious. And th these things add up. There's sort of a compounded interest to it. Like, the way we treat each other on a day-to-day -day basis actually really matters. And this is what they're saying. I believe that to be true. My experience proves that to be true. And I think the Bible backs that up. And so, friends, honest assessment of your marriage right now, or you're, you're, if you're in a dating relationship that's serious, and you're seriously considering yoking yourself in a covenant of marriage to another person, what's it like when you give a bit of invitation, a loving invitation for intimacy to talk, to connect, to read, to pray, to, to do something fun? Even if that person doesn't enjoy that, will they sacrifice and join you in that? And if the percentage is low, take note. Friendship is super important. Physical attraction is too. There's many things that are important, but these, these things are important. Pay attention to the amount of times you say yes to an invitation. And lately, this is sort of how it's been playing out for us, like during COVID. Like we've never done crossword puzzles before, but Becky and I both kind of discovered, like we kind of like doing that. So we started to do crossword puzzles. Even the invitation, like, hey, we have this puppy. Let's take the puppy swimming. It's too hot to walk the dog. Let's, let's throw her in the pool and let's teach her to swim. Like let's hang out. Let's be together. Becky and I uh, don't like the same type of television programs or movies. And so I watch what she wants to watch, which right now is a Canadian horse show that is really difficult for me to sit through. But so like I, I'll make it like a, a one episode. It's actually quite good. Uh, maybe you even know what I'm talking about, but I make it about one and then she'll go two or three more. But Anyway, saying yes, paying attention. Are you saying yes? Or are you saying no? Are you turning towards one another? Are you turning away from one another? I challenge you to think about, are you saying yes? First, say yes. The next is incredibly important, and it's this, believe the best. They have a book called The Seven Principles to Making Marriage Work, John Gottman and his wife. And they write this, what became apparent through research was that unhappy marriages were never perfect unions. Did you hear that? That is so important. Happy, happy marriages, healthy marriages were never perfect unions. Never. Conflicts between them were frequent. They argued almost just as much as those who ended up getting divorced. But the mystery, they write, is how they navigated their way through these difficult times and kept their love alive for one another and stable. And I learned something in reading this book that I've intuitively, to intuitively experienced and even thought about and never really had a, uh, an, you know, like a name for it. But they call it this, positive sentiment override. And Becky and I have experienced in our marriage like... An, Whenever I preach on marriage, she'll always say something like this to me, and now she's really going to be mad at me because she'll say, like, be careful to not talk about us too much because it kind of sounds like you're bragging about how great we are. And now I'm doing it, like, and this is going to make it even worse. But, like, throughout our marriage, I've noticed, like, yes, we not only have a commitment to never get divorced because we're Christians, but for whatever reason, we get along well enough and we have such a love for one another that there is this positive sentiment override that like enables us honestly at times to treat each other pretty poorly and to be able to walk out of the room and go but we're fine you know what i mean you can take that for granted trust me 
we can have pretty serious fights. We can have pretty serious disagreements. We can have pretty serious prob like problems in a moment. But knowing I love this woman, and I not only love her and like I'm going to be committed to her for the rest of my life, that kind of thing, but I really like her also, and that my, my overriding feeling about her is extremely positive. And I hope it's true for me. And so what I've experienced intuitively and what I've seen is this, how important that is. You don't take that for granted and go, well, she's crazy about me. I can treat her, you know, really bad. That's not it. That doesn't work. But that if you are believing the best about one another, and this is absolutely biblical, there's power in that. Instead of looking for the worst, and so many times marriages that don't make it, are in a constant critique mode of looking for the worst, looking for the worst, looking for the worst. And the ones that are more strengthened are the ones that are looking for the best. Of course there are bad things there. Of course there's frustrating things. And again, I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about abuse and uns unsafety. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about rampant infidelity. I'm not talking about addictions. What I'm talking about, though, is of course we all have we have these problems. We're people. We're broken. We're fallen. Are you looking, though, for the best in your, in your spouse? Or are you looking for the worst? Couples who have this overwhelming sense of goodwill towards their spouse can handle, they write, all kinds of conflict without losing their equilibrium because they believe in one another. But the Gottmans say they can predict, and I don't know if this is actually true, but this is an astounding claim, and a lot of people quote them on this, at 94% certainty whether couples will make it. And they say this, it comes down to one thing, whether the couple brings kindness and generosity to the relationship or contempt, criticism, and hostility. And I believe that to be true. I've done... So, so much marriage counseling over the years, and I've never studied it like with stats like this, but when there is such an intensity of not just criticism, like, hey, I, I want you to, to, to be better and do better, not just, you know, good, good feedback, but like hostility and disdain. The word that I think that sums it up best is disdain. There is a difference between generosity and goodwill and disdain. That is the difference. And feedback is good. I mean, we have to be able to have discussions where you say, look, it's really hard for me when you don't put your glass away. Like, one of us in our relationship does this. You choose who. Uh, like, you drink half a can of pop and you leave it there. And there's half a bottle of water. And then and next to your sink, Scott, there are like... 17 cups of water can it would just really help me you know in about an enormous number of ways if you would just not do that you know and I always say yes oh honey I'm so sorry uh you're right and I will really try to do better for about a weekend but there's a difference between that and saying like it would really help me and this is the way Becky approached like it would really be helping I will admit it's very frustrating to me and it would really help me if you would do that. Versus this, why do you always do this? What is wrong with you? 
you obviously don't care about me or God or our family that you would leave like glasses everywhere. And you see the difference. One is specific. It even has a specific challenge. Like it would be better for me if you would do this. I'm asking you to do this. You can even share your emotions and say, this makes me frustrated or angry or Maybe I feel a little unloved even at times because of your insensitivity. But versus you always do this. You have a character flaw. There's something like utterly broken in you that I'm not sure can be redeemed because of this glass thing, you know? You hear me? I mean, that's the difference between disdain and just and positive feedback. And the Apostle Paul says this, therefore, encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Paul is not writing to marriage couple, married couples. He's writing to the church. And if that's true, if we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors, ourselves, and certainly within our loving of our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, if this is true of just loving the church, you know, encourage one another and build one, one another up. If that's true of how we should love our neighbor, how much more true is it for the person we're supposed to prioritize more than anyone else on planet Earth? Right? If that's true of our neighbor, how much more should that be true of the one human being that you want next to you when you pass away? Like Dale experienced with Pat. Faithful to the end. Loving you to the end, believing you to the end. So friends, are you looking for ways to build up or to tear down? Are you focused on the strengths of your spouse or only the weaknesses? You can focus on the weaknesses, that's fine. You can even bring it up. You can even argue about it. But is your heart mainly focused on the negative? And and treating your spouse with disrespect or mocking them with sarcastic comments or forms are forms of contempt. If they're like the butt of your joke, be careful. Be very, very careful. If you use name calling with your spouse that's not like a pet name or a loving name, <laughs> you're, you're in dire, dire danger. The Gottmans would say you're within 6%. Like you're, you're among this, you would be the outlier if you don't get a divorce. Name-calling, mimically, even eye-rolling and sneering, and I've been guilty of that. Not sneering, but I do this weird thing where I kind of scoff. (laughs) Becky will say, disdain will destroy a marriage. And when contempt begins to overwhelm your relationship, you tend to forget entirely your partner's positive attributes, and you're only thinking about the negative. You can't remember a single positive at times. This immediately decays your relationship. Contempt ought to be banned in our marriages. We have to have contempt for contempt. We have to have disdain for disdain. Philippians 2, Paul says this, Do not do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul's not talking to married couples here again. He's not for the second time. This, this is just to the church, not to the people living in your home. And if that's true of the church, if it's true of your neighbors, how much more so should it be true of the one person to whom you're supposed to prioritize above all others? 
have the same mind among you, which was in Christ. Look, look out for each other, not only for your own interests, but the interests of others. And third and finally is cover the rest. Say yes, believe the best, and cover the rest. I love this passage from 1 Peter. The apostle writes this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Again, not writing specifically to married couples, but even more so to us, even more so to the married couple, even more so to the couple that's dating and engaged. Like the one thing I wanted to see in my son's relationship with this young lady is, of course you're going to fight. Of course there's going to be drama and difficulty. But how are you untangling the knots that you've made? Of course there's going to be, you know, you're human, but can you forgive one another well? Can you love one another well through them? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Having a growing friendship, friends, having profound intimacy, believing the Bible, what the Bible says about divorce and all these things will not be enough to keep you uh, from going down a negative path if you're living in disdain for one another. But instead, having a growing friendship and doesn't keep you from arguing, but having a growing friendship does create this positive sentiment override. It creates this profound sense of, I love you. I'm for you. I will cover over your offenses. I will bring them up and talk to you, but in the ways in which you fail, I'm going to cover it with love and grace. Why? Because Christ has forgiven me in the same manner except a billion times more. Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In Ephesians 5, he does talk about marriage. In Ephesians 4, he's not. Same principle. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How and to what degree as Christ has forgiven you? It's so weird to me when Christians can't forgive one another in a church relationship and and, and, and it's strange that like we who believe that God the Son died for us, a powerful death in such a way that he lived our life for us and he died the death that I deserved. He substituted himself for me on the cross that then I in turn would be a person that would live in such a way that my relationships are constantly breaking down because I won't forgive and I won't say I'm sorry and I won't repent. And I have a hard time seeing that in the church, but even more so in marriage. Friends, to bring this in your relationship, as Christ has forgiven you, we have a resource, followers of Jesus. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you have a resource that the rest of the world doesn't have. You have the Holy Spirit residing in your life, empowering your life. And you have the example of our Savior Christ who loved us in such a way that he forgave us when we were his enemies. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted to one another. Forgive one another. Do so as Christ has forgiven you. In this great book, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller, they say this. In any relationship, there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love dry up. This is true. Your feelings, the romance, the infatuation, 
is like the stock market. It's going to rise and it's going to fall. And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage is a covenant, a commitment, a promise of future love. I'll be reading the vows to Jacob and Lauren in two weeks. Promise to be faithful. Promise to be loving. Promise in good times when their bills are paid and and promise when they're poor. Promise in health. Promise in sickness. Promise when everything's great. Promise when everything's difficult. So what do you do? You do the acts of love despite your lack of feeling. You may not feel tender, sympathetic, and eager to please, but in your actions... You must be tender, understanding, forgiving, and helpful. And if you do that, and if you do, as time goes on, you'll not only get through the dry spells, but they'll become less frequent and deep, and you'll become more constant in your feelings. This is what can happen if you decide to love. This is true. I've experienced it, and I've seen it, and and all of the heroes that I have in my life that have had good marriages, even 67 years long. This is true. As I left the party yesterday and and said goodbye, Sid, who's about, how tall is, like 6'2", 6'3", he's a tall guy, he's 86, he could beat me up. (laughs) He pulled me in close and he goes, Scott, love your wife, take care of your wife, because in the end, This is all you'll have. Now, he has much more. He has children and grandchildren, and they are a unified family like I've never seen. But what he's meaning, he's he's echoing to me exactly what the Bible just taught us. Make this relationship your priority, because in the end, this is what matters the most. And when your kids move out, when they're long gone, what will you have? Young couples. Our church is 60% young couples. I plead with you. Do not wait until the kids are out of the house to make this relationship your priority. Your kids, in fact, we're preaching on, on parent raise, or chill, uh, parenting next week. Your kids need to see you prioritize one another. It's the greatest gift you can give one another is to love each other first. This is what can happen if you decide to love. So right now, I want you to start implementing these three things. Let's say it again. Say yes. Believe the best, cover the rest. And if for some reason you're saying, we've tried this and we're, it's not working, I'm, I'm not capable of doing what you're saying, then you absolutely, today's the day, you need to get counseling. And, and, and I, I plead with you, there is no shame in counseling. Every hero I know who's had a long-term marriage, every pastor I know, every friend of mine that has a healthy marriage that I know has had marriage counseling. Get counseling. If you're saying, uh, we're in a place where we're just not, we're not moving forward. Friend, yeah, but it's expensive. It's worth it. I promise you. Yeah, but it takes time. It's embarrassing. It is worth it. I pro- whatever excuse you have, it's, it's not going to work. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Christ who has forgiven us so much 
And I thank you, Father, for your spirit that you've sent who indwells our lives and our hearts and encourages us through your word, who speaks to us this good word through your word, convicts us of sin, encourages us with, to be faithful. Holy Spirit, would you come and give us this heart towards one another, but especially our spouses, and give wisdom to us single people, Father, as they, as they pray about future marriages, as they date, as they consider. Lord, give them wisdom and direction. And Father, for the, the marriages right now that are in, in a place that just seem impossible, Father, would you break through? Would you bring the humility of Christ and faith and hope? Lord, you can do the amazing. You're, you're a miracle maker. Holy Spirit, bring, bring your power, we ask, on all of our marriages. In Jesus' good name, amen.